Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to the final episode of Medtronic Talks, at least for the year 2021. We will be back in 2022. I'm currently working with Medtronic's communications teams on what that will look like. So please do stay tuned. Expect a full-fledged return, uh, I think, in February. But we hope to have a few episodes uh, in between now and then to tide you over. I'm very pleased to bring you this conversation with John Mack, the president of Cardiac Surgery. This is literally a life-saving business at Medtronic. And we talk with John about how the cardiac surgery industry has changed, what technologies it's seeing to help sustain the life of patients, and how it was impacted during COVID-19. We'll end the conversation with a discussion about a few important causes that John's involved in. So please enjoy this episode of Medtronic Talks. And before we start this week's interview, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Nordson Medical. I'm speaking with David Sagans. He's a vice president at Nordson Medical. David, tell me about Nordson Medical. What are your capabilities and uh, where are you located? Norton Medical is a global expert in the design, development, and manufacturing of complex medical devices and component technologies. We serve interventional, surgical, and specialized medical markets as the engine of innovations that help our OEM customers save and enhance patients' lives. Today's Norton Medical has more than 50 years in the making. Since the first Norton Medical facility opened in 1968, We've been strategically building our capabilities to offer customers a complete solution to their medical device development needs. This strategic build-out of capabilities has led Nordson Medical to have a global footprint of 14 development and manufacturing locations spanning the U.S., Mexico, Europe, and Israel, allowing us to work directly with our customers where they are located. All right, we'll hear more from Davis Gantz at Nordson Medical a little later in our episode. Well, John Mack, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Tom. It's uh, it's wonderful to talk about uh, such a big business. I, I need to understand more about this 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 area, so I'm glad we we have this opportunity. But first, uh, I always like to understand uh, how folks found their way into the the medical device sector. How what was your uh, what was your entry point? How'd you get here? You know, I started my career actually as a as, as a CPA, and I was with a public accounting firm. Wow. And yeah, and with that, I had a lot of uh, clients that were very involved in mergers and acquisitions. And in 1996, I had the opportunity to come out to Medtronic and support med, uh, mergers and acquisitions from a financial perspective, as well as our, our external reporting. And then had the privilege of uh, assisting uh, the company as Bill George really diversified the company through mergers and acquisitions uh, throughout the late 90s. Oh, so what was it about 
the uh, the opportunity that stuck with you? Was it was it Medtronic the company? Was it was it the field? What what, what made you stay? You know, really, what really inspires me every day, Tom, is is the mission of our great company, um, the ability to work for a global enterprise that has such a big impact, the privilege of, of working with great teammates around the world. And, you know, within Medtronic, we're serving uh, upwards of, you know, 72 million people per year. And, and just within my business in cardiac surgery, we serve over 1.1 million patients per year. And just the the honor and privilege of doing that has really kept me around for, for going on 26 years now. Did you did you see yourself being the president of cardiac surgery someday uh, from that uh, start twenty five years ago? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been just fantastic, and you know the support I've had from the company and and again all of my teammates around me uh, has just been truly remarkable. That's excellent. So let's talk about about the business. Uh, we've we've talked to a number of people at the company. Uh, the Medtronic obviously has a lot of different products touching the heart and, and heart health. Tell me though about about cardiac surgery. It, what this sounds like it would be uh, a primary way to uh, to treat the heart. You know, so cardiac surgery is um, a business that that really touches uh, almost all of the um, therapies and disease states across our cardiac car- cardiovascular portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, it is obviously an end stage treatment, and, and as I always tell somebody, it's it's not necessarily what you want to have done, but it's it's better than the alternative. We've got a we've been in the business within cardiac surgery, really going back to Earl Bakken's days with uh, Dr. Lillehei down at the University of Minnesota. You, you know, back in the day, uh, Earl was uh, in uh, Dr. Lillehei's cardiac OR, um, supporting him both with services and solutions. And today we continue to do that within the cardiac OR, um, spending time with our, our surgeon customers, understanding their needs and trying to fulfill those needs with, with products and services. So review some of the, the larger pieces of your, of your portfolio. What falls under cardiac surgery? So within cardiac surgery, we have essentially all of the company's uh, equipment that's used in the cardiac OR. So we've mm-hmm. got everything from products that are used to operate as the patient's heart and lungs during cardiac surgery. So full lines of oxygenators, blood pumps, and products that are used to treat the patient's blood. We also have products that are, are used to replace or repair a, uh, a patient's heart valves, either their, their aortic valve, their mitral valve, or the tricuspid valve. We've got products that are used to cannulate that blood. In other words, connect the, the, the patient from the heart-lung machine you know, to the, the oxygen air. So we've got a full line of cannula products. We've got products that are used to perform uh, coronary artery bypass procedures. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, we've got a full line of surgical ablation products. So really anything in the cardiac OR are are within within, uh, the cardiac surgery business within Medtronic. We're seeing, as I mentioned at the top, so many different ways of treating the heart of replacing valves without without open surgery. How has it impacted the, the cardiac surgery business? Is it, what is the, the evolution of the technology in heart surgery? How has it impacted what you do? So, you know, maybe going back to, to, to me personally, in, in the mid-2000s, uh, Medtronic really spent some time thinking strategically, and we wanted to extend our cardiac surgery business into a structural heart business. Mm-hmm. And um, we went and acquired Corvalve as well as Ventor in Israel to um, move to a transcatheter space. And we've always had the philosophy that if we can treat patients with the same outcomes less invasively, that's good for the company. And, and that's good for patients. 
What we're seeing uh, on a global basis, Tom, is um, globally, uh, cardiac surgery continues to be quite healthy. Mm-hmm. We see in um, markets, in, in what we call emerging markets, procedural growth in the mid to high single digits. Um, and we see procedural procedures in, in developed markets, the U.S. Uh, and Western Europe, uh, essentially flat. But there's still about 1.8 million um, cardiac surgeries that are done on a global basis. And, uh, and there's about 320,000 that are done here in the United States. We've, we've seen within cardiac surgery a movement to more complex procedures of where these isolated procedures can be treated through a catheter. And so the, the complexity of, of what's being done uh, within cardiac surgery continues to increase. You were uh, vice president of business development in, in 2006, 2014, the business development strategy and portfolio management. Were you involved uh, in the in the core valve acquisition? Was that part of your, your job? Yes, yes. So um, back, as I said, so my, my career started in corporate, then I, I moved to become part of the, uh, the cardiac surgery business. I then left uh, after leading marketing uh, to lead business development and strategy as we were looking to create the structural heart business and was involved in both the uh, the acquisition as well as the integration of Corval. And how's it played out? It's really it's played out. You know, it's really <laughs> interesting. It's it's played out very well, but it's also played out you know really um, as we anticipated as we set forth the strategy of where patients with isolated AVR that can be treated less invasively through a catheter-based procedure are, are, being, are being treated that way today, which is what we anticipated. Are you seeing more patients come into your sphere uh, having already been treated through with, with, with having had valves replaced through TAVR or other means? Are the patients who are coming your way, are they different than they were perhaps 10 years or 15 years ago when, when that sort of technology wasn't available? So, so they, they tend to be kind of sicker and more advanced in their, in their disease progression. So if you look in, in the United States right now, of the um, you know, 320,000 procedures that are done in the U.S., slightly over half of those are isolated cabbage. So this has had no impact with, with TAVR. And these are patients that, that uh, you know, have coronary artery disease that needs to be treated through uh, open heart surgery. Um, mm-hmm. We see about 8% of procedures being isolated aortic valve replacement. Um, that's about half of what it was back when we first launched TAVR. About 8% are, are isolated mitral repair replacement and the re- remainder are complex procedures. So we're seeing a continued increase in the complexity of patients that are treated um, for, for, for cardiac disease in the surgical suite. And what has uh, innovation been like for, for cardiac surgery, specifically in this space? As, uh, you, you, you offer uh, valves for, for replacement valves. What sort of innovation have we seen there? What sort of advances have we seen there technically? We're going to take a break from this conversation to bring in our sponsor, Norton Medical. Once again, I'm visiting with David Sagan's vice president. David, tell me, what type of medical device companies do you work with? We work closely with customers to develop primarily interventional med device solutions that enable procedures such as transcatheter valve replacement, cardiac ablation, kyphoplasty, stent deployment, among many other therapies. Our solutions include both finished devices, including delivery systems, balloon catheters, and cannula, as well as component offerings that include engineered shafts, medical balloons, extrusions, heat shrink tubing, and complex nitinol components. With expertise ranging from finished devices to individual component optimization, 
we are uniquely positioned to partner with a broad range of customers covering the entire med device lifecycle. And how do you help your OEM customers? Typically, we start at the front end of the device development process, working with customers to understand the problem and develop a unique solution. Once a design solution is reached, we leverage advanced modeling and proprietary testing to verify that the design meets performance requirements, ultimately taking the product into mass production through our rigorous transfer and validation process. Norton Medical makes the device and the differentiated components in the device, elevating us in the market through a highly configurable manufacturing platform, providing our customers with significant design freedom and flexibility from a single source. Finally, it sounds like you have a long history of success and a great record of growth. Tell us, where do you see Norton Medical going in the future? What kind of growth do you see happening? Here at Norton Medical, we're constantly looking to expand our capabilities in ways that add value to our customers. Continually evaluating new technology, equipment, and processes to enable new solutions that make the devices better and more cost-effective. A prime example of this was the addition of Floratech business to our portfolio last year. This competency in fluoropolymer extrusion and PTFE allows us to offer a more comprehensive line of solutions. And when combined with our other proprietary technologies, it allows us to increase our responsiveness while providing unique solutions that only Nordson can deliver. Additionally, we are always looking to optimize our footprint with the right capabilities in the right locations. Along these lines, an exciting new step for Nordson Medical is the new state-of-the-art manufacturing facility opening in Tecate, Mexico. We've been manufacturing in Mexico for the last 16 years, and the new Tecate facility reflects a commitment to provide our customers with a cost-optimized solution for full-device manufacturing. Combined with our U.S. locations, we provide rapid development and manufacturing options from our U.S. sites. And as a product transitions into greater market acceptance, we can readily transfer the production into our cost-optimized Tecate site. This is a real win for our customers because we can provide rapid development at launch and a defined path to an enhanced cost position. Thanks for joining us, Davis Gonsan. Thanks for sponsoring this episode, Nordson Medical. You can find more information on their website, nordsonmedical.com. What sort of innovation have we seen there? What sort of advances have we seen there technically? Sure. So, you know, it, it goes back, Medtronic's um, leadership in the cardiac surgical area, you know, goes back to, to 1977. We were the first company to launch uh, a, a, what we call the, the MedHall tilting disc valve. And, and this was a valve that had a singular frame that, that provided uh, enhanced uh, durability and performance. That was followed by um, us entering the tissue valve market back in the mid 80s. And we've gone from having Having our standard Hancock product to our Hancock 2 to our Mosaic and Freestyle product lines too. We just recently um, launched um, our Avalis pericardial surgical valve that we're quite proud of. This valve um, just had its five-year performance presented at the European Association of Thoracic Surgery meeting in Barcelona earlier this year. And the product has had excellent hemodynamics stable hemodynamics, uh, no structural valve deterioration, and we're just really uh, continue to be quite proud of, of that product's performance. So that's in the, the area of, of, of heart valves, Tom. We've also seen significant innovation in the, um, in the treatment of, of, of uh, uh, extracorporeal life support. And, and this is a a product line that we're that we've just recently re-entered, and this is something of where patients who need long-term treatment for their either lungs or cardiac disease 
we put these patients on a device that operates as the, the patient's heart and lungs for a much longer period of time mm. than would be standard cardiac surgery. And we've recently launched a series of both catheters as well as oxygenators in this market that, that we're quite proud of. And, and certainly the performance of these products throughout the COVID pandemic has been has been really strong. I was going to ask about that. What What is the clinical setting where, where the extracorporeal life support systems are, are used? Is it ICU or is it elsewhere? Yeah, the, these are, are used in the ICU. And as I said, these are um, products that uh, act as a patient's heart and lungs for an extended period of time. About half the patients that, that need support of this type of device, Tom, are, are patients that have advanced respiratory disease, certainly COVID being, being one of those. And about half of the patients are under are, have advanced cardiac disease and need some sort of stabilization before it's determined what type of, of additional treatment they would need on the cardiac side. Well, let's drill down on the on the, the COVID part for a second. What what is the last two years, unfortunately, or year nine months? What kind of impact has that had on 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 this business? We've seen significant um, growth, unfortunately, in the, the utilization of these devices. And in fact, the FDA, um, because of the potential need, um, allowed all device manufacturers to file for an extension of their indication for products that were used in the cardiac OR. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something, Tom, of where the the oversight that is needed to treat these patients is quite substantial. So this tended to be um, limited for patients who are quite young. Um, and otherwise healthy, um, but but they did get COVID. And what are some of the uh, some of the other uses for for this system? Is it? I mean, we're seeing a rise in respiratory disease. I imagine that would be a big. I'm trying. I guess I'm trying to understand where this is used in the treatment spectrum. From a, a respiratory perspective, these would be patients who are not responding to ventilator treatment okay. and need need an opportunity of where these their lungs can actually just rest. And so this, uh, we have an external oxygenator that acts as the patient's lungs to both provide the uh, the organs, the critical organs, oxygen, as well as remove CO2. So from a respiratory perspective, this would be beyond ventilation. Is there is there a treatment that this is bridged to, or is the hope that just the, the patient will have the time they need to recover on their own? On the respiratory side, this would be a... Uh, um, a, a treatment that they would recover on their own. On the cardiac side, this would be a bridge to an additional additional treatment, whether that be a ventricular assist device, a transplant, or some sort of, of uh, advanced cardiac surgery, but allows this patient to be stabilized and ha- have all of their uh, organs remain healthy as the healthcare system can make the determination as to what that next treatment step should be. So this would seem to be a extracorporeal life support. This would seem to be a different market, a different customer than your other products. Is that right, or or is it in alignment? It's in alignment primarily. We have the uh, the perfusionist is 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 one of the customers in the space, okay. as well as the cardiac surgeon. The cardiac surgeon does a lot of the cannulation um, of, of these patients, um, but but certainly the treatment setting uh, in the uh, the ICU is is outside the cardiac OR. Let's talk about uh, about cardiac ablation. That also falls under your your purview as well. Uh, what is the the state of that that that, that area? 
So we're seeing, um, you know, pre-COVID uh, on a global basis, cardiac ablation grow in the, the 5 to 7% uh, percent, uh, area. We're seeing stronger growth um, outside the U.S. than in the U.S. We've got a, a, a full line of, of products, Tom, that we've been in since the mid-90s. We've got uh, an, an irrigated RF product that um, has uh, saline that it provides RF energy to a patient to create a, a transmural lesion on their cardiac tissue. Um, and then we also have a, a full set of cryo devices. The business has been doing quite well for us, especially outside the U.S. And we are currently enrolling in a clinical trial called Terminate AF to get an, a, uh, uh, an indication to uh, treat AF within the United States. Let's talk about innovation in this space as well. I mean, we've seen uh, seen uh, ablation technologies sort of being paired with uh, with imaging, with mapping, and things like that. What uh, what advances are you seeing in your uh, your uh, ablation line? Relative to um, the uh, some of what you're talking about would be within the EP area in our our, okay. our cardiac ablation business, but within so so we're primarily focused on open surgical and and patients uh, that that would have these procedures in connection with having other procedures done on the heart. From a uh, an advanced technology advancement perspective, we're continuing to see in, uh, advancements in the space. We just recently launched a, a new generator within our, our RF line of where the same generator drives all of our cut and coag products coming out of our MITG business, as well as um, drives all of our um, ablation products within cardiac surgery. We're currently investing in a, a next-gen cryo device as well, and we anticipate having that in the market within the next 24 months. No, thanks for setting me straight on that. And I was a little, I was a little confused as to why I always saw AFib as more of a, a minimally invasive application. So when is ablation done in, in, in this setting? So you do see some, um, you know, isolated treatment um, within the cardiac setting, um, but that's pretty rare. So a majority of, of our cases are you're already doing a mitral valve repair or replacement. This patient uh, needs additional treatment and they get it. Um, you're already doing a, uh, a coronary artery bypass. Um, that type of, of thing would be primarily what you're seeing in the cardiac surgery area. Interesting. Okay. I mean, what is your overall feeling about advancement in, in this space? It seems everything we talk about is, is all uh, minimally invasive and, 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 and interventional and very little attention. My Very little of my attention seems to be given to this sort of technology. Is it is this an area that is still gets the attention that it, that it it did before, or do you feel like that interventional tools are sort of getting more of a spotlight and perhaps you feel like they should? I don't know. Yeah. You know, as, as I said, our underlying philosophy as a company has always been, if you can provide patients a similar outcome through a less invasive method, that's a good thing for the patient. And so certainly as advancements are made on the catheter side, we watch those closely. We do also, though, continue to believe that um, patients who are undergoing cardiac surgery are going to need to continue to, to, to need these types of treatments and, and advances uh, should be made in these areas as well. Um, so as I said, we've made advancements in our RF energy platform. We're making advancements in our cryo platform. And we're also closely watching um, some work that's being done in our catheter-based technology with pulse field ablation and seeing how that might be applicable within cardiac surgery at some time in the future. 
John, I want to circle back and, and kind of, if we haven't, we hit upon it maybe a little bit, but I want to understand more about your uh, your portfolio in, in cabbage. What are you, what are your products here and, and how are you approaching uh, that space and, and, and that procedure? Sure. Thanks, Tom. So when you look at coronary artery um, bypass procedures, which continue to be a majority of, of procedures within cardiac surgery globally, about 80% of, of those procedures are done what we call on pump of where you would pay, put the patient on a heart lung machine on an oxygenator, you would cannulate them and the surgeon would do a, a standard coronary artery bypass procedure. About 20% of those procedures and by, by far a vast majority in, in countries like India, in countries like Japan, but about 20% uh, average across the world are done what we call off pump. And in the uh, in the mid '90s, Medtronic um, partnered with the University of Utrecht to develop an ox a a, a family of stabilizers that we call Octopus. And um, that was a really another part of innovation and first within Medtronic, where we developed this this line of products uh, in partnership with the University of Utrecht. And we really launched what was a new therapy in the mid '90s. It reached about 30% penetration in the United States, mm-hmm. somewhere about 30% of cabbages were done because of of some of the complexities of the procedure. That's now moved back to about 15%. But when you look at in countries like India, about 80 to 85% of uh, procedures are done uh, off pump, and in in, uh, in Japan, it's about 70%. Those are interesting numbers. Why is it so different from country to country? Some of it is is uh, is around economics, and some of it, quite honestly, is is just around physician training and physician comfort. Mm-hmm. So, going forward, I mean, what what where up where are the opportunities you see for for growth in this business, and, and how is is cardiac surgery sort of viewed by the company? I'm talking with with others. You know, some have had a. a a larger business with with lower anticipation for growth or lower projections. Where does cardiac surgery fall in that in that expectation realm? You know, we think cardiac surgery can continue to grow in the the, the mid single digit range um, within the company. As I said earlier, Tom, cardiac surgery is the end stage treatment for a lot of the disease states that we treat across cardiovascular. So we're also a bridging business within the the company. As I talked earlier, we partnered with the structural heart business as we entered the TAVR space. We continue to partner very very closely with the structural heart business as they're treating transcatheter mitral valve disease or they're looking at uh, tricuspid disease. We partner very closely with the uh, CAS business uh, in in looking at the way that we look at surgical ablation. So we continue to be a a bridging business across the enterprise, but but also a business that the company views realistically. We see that on a global basis, we should be able to grow in the mid-single digits. Mm -hmm. We see that that growth is going to be stronger in parts of the world that would be emerging markets where the the the, the treatment of cardiovascular disease is 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 much less penetrated. So we make significant investments in training and education and in our global footprint to address those patient needs. But we see the markets more flat um, in the in Western Europe, the United States, and Japan. And final area I want to talk about, I know you're involved more broadly uh, in the heart community. You've done work with the American Heart Association. How did you become involved with those groups? And talk a bit about that experience. 
Sure. You know, I, I've uh, I've been involved in the American Heart Association for uh, ever since I, I, I came to Medtronic, you know, supporting the Heart Walk and and uh, and other types of activities going to the annual gala. Um, but I had the opportunity to um, become part of the board of the American Heart Association about seven years ago. I served on the board for six years, um, you know, three years as, as chair. Um, and, and really, I would just say support in, in significant ways the great work of the American Heart Association. Medtronic is a, is a Life is Wise sponsor for American Heart. And we're working very closely with the American Heart, both within the Twin Cities area as well as across the country on addressing uh, healthcare needs and specifically uh, healthcare disparities. With all of the uh, things that have been happening in the world over the last several years, really spending time on addressing healthcare disparities is something that we've really partnered closely with um, with the American Heart Association. Excellent. And Tom, I would just... I would just maybe also, as, as long as I've got the team in the podcast, give a, give a plug for another group I'm very involved in, uh, and that's Camp O'Dan. Camp O'Dan is a uh, is a camp for um, kids with cardiovascular disease. Uh, it started in 2002, where we treated uh, or we helped about 50 campers, and now we support um, nearly a thousand campers and their families per year in, in really helping these kids have a great experience and support their both physical and mental health with Camp O'Dan. Wow, that's a that's a great cause. What I, I don't imagine you you have any sort of pediatric applications in your business line, do you? We do. We do. Um, we have a lot of, uh, of pediatric um, products that support uh, cardiac surgery from oxygenators to catheters wow. to um, all of those products. That's uh, well. All right. Well, that's definitely a great, great cause. I'm glad you brought it up. So, well, it's been a, a really informative conversation, John. I appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Tom, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. And thank you for being part of the Medtronic Talks podcast season. So excited to be working on Medtronic Talks podcast season two. We will be back in February. It's going to have a different look. A lot of new folks, new faces, new voices, new topics. Really, really, really Looking forward to bringing you those stories. So please do subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast. That way you won't miss the new episodes when they come up. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify. We are out there. Please do not miss a future episode of Medtronic Talks. Please do connect with me on social media. Another way to track down future episodes of Medtronic Talks. I am on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can also find these podcasts on Medtronic.com, on DeviceTalks.com, where you can also see our information about our other podcasts and our events in 2022. Yes, we are planning in-person events, and you won't be surprised to learn that Medtronic will be an important part of those as well. So once again, I'd like to thank Nordson Medical for sponsoring this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. I'd very much like to thank the communication professionals at Medtronic for working with us in putting together this series. It's a lot of work. It's not easy to do, but I think it was totally worth it. And again, excited to bring you season two. And that's it. Tune in next year for another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast.